Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast, the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody that is hopefully for somebody. I am your host, Kyle Naranya. This week's review will be of Wonka, the third theatrical attempt at the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory novel, of course, written by Ro- Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl? I'm not actually sh- sure I think I know how to say that. Regardless, I will be reviewing that today. Of course, there will be a spoiler and non-spoiler section of the review. Time codes will be listed in the description. Let's see if this third attempt at Willy Wonka was sweet or bitter. Too late. I've started dancing now. Once we've started, we can't stop. Wonka was directed by Paul King, and the script was written by Simon Farnaby and Paul King. Wonka being played by Timothy Chalamet. This is the non-spoiler section of the review, so there will be no specific plot details or twists of any kind revealed in here. So you're just going to hear my general opinion on the film as a whole. Now, one interesting thing that I've noticed, particularly more recently, is how movie studios, particularly for musicals, are no longer marketing marketing them as such. It's an interesting dilemma that these studios are now facing where apparently... People don't like musicals or at least being sold musicals. So the idea is that you have to trick people into seeing them. What I find most interesting about that is, yes, there was music in the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I wouldn't really classify it as a musical. Of course, there is some phenomenal songs in that, the Oompa Loompa music, as well as Pure Imagination. But Wonka itself is much more in that Broadway-style musical. And off the bat, I think what's most frustrating is, one, this film's use of nostalgia, particularly with the use of the Pure Imagination song, which is used in the score, I don't think that necessarily was a wise decision because having been a fan of the original, not of the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory 2005 film with Johnny Depp, is that when you are providing me with nostalgia, if it's not reminiscent or somewhat related to the film or TV show that I'm watching, it makes me think of the product, if it's a positive memory, that I view significantly better than the... (laughs) movie that was in front of me and I wasn't even really planning on seeing this I know that the whole idea for this really did work on Melody and she was very interested in seeing it unfortunately she can't join us for the review today but first off the music in this I think they give a grand attempt at coming up with songs that would fit similarly to the music in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory but I leaving the musical and I am a fan of musicals I guess I should put that out there to begin with is that even if you are telling a or if you are producing a movie that is more in the classical style of musical that none of the music was earworms to any degree and I had some friends asking if it's this is because this film was not familiar to something like The Greatest Showman which obviously used a wide variety of music in its soundtrack, and that's not what I wanted from this at all. The period pieceness of it and the Roald Dahl world, I think, fits quite well. But as a musical, the fact that you do use Pure Imagination, which is a phenomenal song from the original, 
I don't like drawing comparisons when you have nothing better to offer. Friend of the show, Rob Keys, has always said this particularly connected to Blade, which eventually will hopefully be made and stars Maharsha Ali, which is, and I completely agree with him, with this sentiment that if you're going to do it, you've got to make it better than the thing that came before. And that leads me into the casting in particular for this, which is the overall supporting characters really do feel as if they are rolled doll archetypes, particularly with Olivia. I wanted to say Coleman and my brain. Well, yeah, Olivia Coleman, particularly her character of I have to look up their names because they're all a little bit funny. Mrs. Scrubbit is very reminiscent of I want I don't want to say Nurse Cratchit. I'm not a role doll expert, but the principal or dean of the school a lot of the characters do really fit within the character the cartoony elements that you would expect from a raw doll there's always a heightened realistic fantasy unrealistic fantasy to the worlds in the stories that he's told and i do think that all of those elements do work as a spectacle and the Real eye-popping musical moments are very well put together. Paul King, as a director, of course, famously made Paddington's 1 and 2, which are some of the most positively reviewed films of all time based on analytics on Rotten Tomatoes, which is quite an achievement, even though Rotten Tomatoes, I think, as a directive to if a movie is good or bad, is not something necessarily I would recommend using. If you find critics that you like, that's how I sort of followed what I would go see in theaters, even if I didn't necessarily agree with that critic, an objective opinion on something is always a fascinating way to explore movie criticism. And so the fantasy elements and the production design are certainly prevalent in this film. This being a David Heyman production who worked on the, or was a producer on all of the Harry Potter films as well as the Fantastic Beasts, there are great big sets and a lot of practical elements, which is certainly refreshing given how a lot of blockbusters, particularly ones made on from other studios, have really relied on green screen as well as CGI environments. And so getting to see whether this necessarily was shot in London, but building big practical sets is something I will always, always appreciate. And I think the film does do a really phenomenal way... Um, this is a very poor sentence, but establishing the world that we live in, it being a heightened reality while still feeling feeling tactile in nature is one of the most positive elements of the film in general. I've been kind of talking around it, and that is the character of Willy Wonka in particular has this charm, magic, and yet darkness to him that has only succeeded once with Gene Wilder, and that's not something that's going to be a revolutionary thought, but... Elements that didn't work in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. I I think Timothy Chalamet is a phenomenal actor. Of Dune 2 is a movie I absolutely cannot wait to see in March of 2024. And all the other films that he has been in general typically have some form of trauma. And the, there's a significant a lot more drama in the films that he has been in, in particular as a lead. Whether that's Dune, Little Women... Beautiful boy, Ladybird, call me by your name. He's obviously been in other films. Ironically, I know he was talking about Interstellar, which I had completely forgotten he was in until very recently. And when it comes to the balance of drama and then the colorful 
magic and whimsy and creativeness of Willy Wonka. I think those elements don't necessarily work. And it's not that Timothy is not a great actor because he is. I'm a fan. But this is a it's been proven to be an impossible role to cast because of it being done so successfully the first time. And I appreciate them wanting to bring in new elements overall as an origin story. I think it is well done. I will get into more specifics in the spoiler section. But when it comes to that playfulness of Willy Wonka, this magician whose chosen art form is that of creating sweet treats, candy bars, chocolate, as well as edible flowers and whatnot. Obviously, Gobstoppers being my favorite. That's not in this, so that's not necessarily a spoiler. I just found there to be an inconsistency with the performance. And when we had serious monologues about his past or the reasoning behind why he does what he does, I think that was sold really well. But for the other elements, the more characteristic behavior of Willy Wonka, I don't necessarily think worked with this casting. I certainly appreciate Timothy wanting to do something out of the normal performances and out potentially out of his comfort zone. So I commend him for that. And all the attempts around the, around the board from top to bottom, I think everybody was giving 110%, which again, when you are in this heightened reality, you need everybody to be treating everything happening around them, whether ridiculous or not with complete seriousness. Otherwise, if it feels like they don't believe everything around them, why would the audience? And that is certainly not a problem in this film, but I didn't buy Timothy as Willy Wonka. I'm not going to sit here and hypo or and ha hypothesis. That's the word I was looking for about this potentially being a paycheck movie. What led to this being made, this being a familiar intellectual property that I guess the Roald Dahl company wanted to explore again. There is a production studio, which is the Roald Dahl story company. That was one of the, producer credits played in front of the film. So I didn't even know that that was a thing to begin with, but overall, I think the film is fine, but when you are, when not that I care that it's a musical, I have, again, I am a fan of musicals, but the selling list or bullet points that for me to check off that this film did work would be the music as well as the lead. And Timothy Chalamet may or may not have been in some form of musicals in high school, but to me, it was very reminiscent, and I know this is going to be a controversial opinion, but similar to the way that I felt about La La Land is a true triple threat song and dance man or woman or they is really difficult. Those are skills when you are using all three in unison in one performance. There are the goats who have done so. There are obviously more recent actors and actresses who have done that quite well. Neil Patrick Harris, who was in The Giggle, is somebody who can absolutely do all of those things, as well as, oh my goodness, Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. And so when the elements for your lead don't necessarily work, I think because there wasn't necessarily a buy-in for me with this version of Willy Wonka, that the other elements start to just fall apart. I think the story in general is okay. I don't think it necessarily is super revealing and it's not overly original. It's difficult to tell this story because everything just sort of seems by the book, pun intended if not, but the out other worldliness is also in terms of the Oompa Loompas is really played down outside of the fantastical nature of the actual candies themselves. And because 
I didn't like the music. This being a musical, it doesn't it. It just sort of happens in front of you. And it's not it. The attempt to be exciting and gratifying is certainly presented. But I just wasn't I was a little bored given how I wasn't. I wouldn't say the film is not entertaining, but I think because of some of the elements holding it back, it prevents it from being this next awesome iteration of this franchise that again up until this point has only had one good film i think it's one of the reasons that there's only ever been three of these there never was an attempt to do what i believe is called the great glass elevator if i remember specifically what it's called what is the sequel called charlie and the great glass elevator yes so it's very difficult to cast this role and i commend everybody involved i think the the effort, as I've said already, was is clearly presented, but I can get into more specifics about probably more positives than negatives. But other than that, I think the film was okay, and I was a little bit bored through it. I think it might work for some as a holiday feature and experience with the family, but it's not one that I am necessarily going to be showing mine again anytime soon. So that'll do it for my non-spoiler section of the review. Where I'm going to be jumping into spoilers, so any details, plot elements, anything that may or may not be actually be in the film is going to be said. So if you do not want the film spoiled for you, you can skip that section and jump into the outro and find out what is coming in the next couple weeks. Good night, sir. I am going flat. So before necessarily getting into the spoilers, I wanted to give a little behind the scenes uh, for the podcast. Boy, am I happy that I've added the little sound clips in between each segment because... They've certainly helped me remember what I wanted to talk about. And one thing I know I haven't talked about yet is the Oompa Loompas. I referenced it briefly about the fantastical nature not necessarily being something that's fully addressed. An element of the original that I thoroughly enjoyed was where it seemed as if Willy Wonka had traveled to all these different places. And while, of course, Hugh Laurie is in the movie as Lofty, the only Oompa Loompa we, well, that's not true. We do actually get to see where is he from? He is from where are they just from Oompa Loompa land or Loompa land? I can't necessarily remember. I want to say it is Loompa land. You can comment on the episode if I got it wrong. But anyways, we do get to see elements of Willie's adventures and the reason he's so invested in chocolate. And it does explain the character who he is, given how he wanted to be a magician, but he has this strong relationship with his mother about chocolate and that ultimately he wanted to become a chocolatier to go to this play the galleries gourmet which has the three most prestigious chocolate shops of all and of course you have slughorn who is or slugworth and the slug is it not slughorn that's a harry potter reference david Heyman, you're doing it to me again but there's the slugworth chocolate place as well as what are the other ones prod prodnose and Fickle Grubber. Yeah, uh, they're the three villains of the chocolate cartel who are controlling everything in this place, random European city with bribing people with chocolate. But the elements of Willie's origin story, having this relationship with his mom is an element of the film that I think really works and is where Timothy thrives in particular. Him wanting to reach almost this, almost this euphoria from success in selling chocolate and sharing his mother's recipe with the world 
in allowing him an opportunity to see his mom again. I think all of those scenes are great and certainly well executed. As I said in the non-spoiler section of the review, it's the whimsy and playfulness that I don't think necessarily works. Again, I think Timothy is absolutely giving 110% in that aspect of the whole performance, but I think to some degree it might be where the script lets him down where it doesn't necessarily really feel as if it is understanding at least the version of Willy Wonka that everybody has grown to know and love. And back to the Impalupas. So we do get to see Charlie or Charlie. Charlie's not in this, although his parents might be. I don't know. Regardless, that's neither here nor there. And so we see Loompa Land and Lofty was banished because he was supposed to be guarding the Loompa Land's uh, coffee or cocoa beans. I call them cocoa, the cocoa beans. And so that's one of the ingredients that Willie uses to make his chocolate. I really do like some of the technology in this, which was very reminiscent of things we do to some degree get in the other two versions of the film. His candy making briefcase. I could only think about Newt Scamander's briefcase, even though I know that was a zoo from Fantastic Beasts. But this is what happens when David Heyman has produced at this point 11 Harry Potter films. And so Hugh Laurie doing the mocap for this character who's he's on a mission to get chocolate to the amount that they feel they are owed before he can return. And so I found it funny that he's not actually in the movie very much. He's we hear about him and it sounds as if Willie might be imagining that this character exists. But obviously, if you know, Oompa Loompas do exist. And so he keeps stealing chocolate from Willie and they build this almost antagonistic relationship because Lofty has his mission and Willie's not just going to go giving away his chocolate. And so the three scenes that Laurie's in, he's very funny. I like the fact that Hugh's gone on record saying he didn't necessarily love the whole mocap thing. It's definitely a style of filmmaking that doesn't work for everybody. So safe to say he's probably not going to be working with James Cameron anytime soon. And so I liked that character. It doesn't really connect to why all the Oompa Loompas would eventually be working for him at his factory. Another element that I feel is in the marketing material, but is an, is something that used to happen about 10 years ago, which is you would market the last shot of the movie. The most famous vandal or example of this is probably the amazing Spider-Man two, where you saw Andrew Garfield spinning around a sewer lid about to hit the rhino. That was the last shot of the movie. And Charlie's actual chocolate factory you see assembled is the last thing you do see in this movie. And so I didn't really like that because yes, the film does work as an origin story for how he gets the factory, but it doesn't really explain why he's able to do any of the things he is able to do when it comes to sweets. That's left to more be a unanswered fantastical element, which I guess is fine. Not everything has to be explained. And it is certainly an element in keeping with the other two versions, whether that's the candy that made um, Faruga Slughorn. Not Slughorn. It might have. Was it Slughorn? I can't remember. All their names are very, very comical and exaggerated English words. And so the I don't really the cart. The villains from the chocolate cartel, they're very reminiscent of things you would see in Raw Dahl. As I said, the world setup and the supporting cast really do feel as if they are original characters that would fit in 
a lot of the other Raw Doll books, particularly Olivia Coleman, who I mentioned in the non-spoiler, playing Mrs. Scrubbit. She owns this laundromat slash inn slash motel and convinces Willie to stay there the night and then he can pay for his lodgings the day before. But if he gets trapped in this, ex uh, what's the word? Small print contract and actually has to work off. I think they call, I don't even remember what they call, what their um specific money is called, but it's not dollars or pounds. It's not even shillings. It's, I don't remember what it's called. It doesn't actually matter, but he gets trapped there. And so he meets another band, a group of people who have also been trapped by the small print. And that's the ensemble that does work with him in trying to escape and sell the chocolate. So that way they can pay off his debts. But he has the conflict of that trying to constantly escape while at the same time trying to sell the chocolate, his own chocolate and all the fun creations of candy he has made while also dealing with the chocolate cartel who are in fact actually watering down their chocolate and selling what I can only imagine is like Walmart brand advent calendar chocolate at this point, which is it's not good. And one element that I was shocked didn't actually wind up being connected to anything in terms of the actual Willy Wonka chocolate factory is we see this significant vat almost pool of chocolate underneath the city. And this is, I guess, coming from the dilution and maintaining the purest chocolate that they are using to bribe officials and other police officers and whatnot. Well, the chief of police played by Keegan-Michael Key, who's quite funny. And I enjoyed all of the prosthetics where he is clearly has an eating disorder and that part, not funny, but seeing his mass slowly increase throughout the film is played successfully for those comical elements. And I was under the impression while watching it, knowing what we see from Charlie in the chocolate factory, that somehow this oasis of pure milk chocolate, I'm assuming, I'm not sure. I like dark chocolate and white chocolate. Maybe that that's probably going to be the question for the week, but you'll have to see if you're listening on Spotify. And so I was expecting that to somehow connect to the idea of having a chocolate river, but it goes nowhere other than Charlie or not Charlie, <laughs> Willie and Noodle being drowned to death in it. Noodle is an orphan girl who is also trapped at the Scrubbit's laundromat service. And there is a very simple mystery about where she comes from and that she is actually a Slugworth. It's not really surprising outside of the fact that she's not Arthur Slugworth's daughter. She's his niece. And so... A lot of these elements are going to be certainly familiar in terms of what the mystery or twist could be. I did not see a heist being in a Willy and the Willy Wonka factory film. So that was something quite surprising. One thing I certainly was not happy about with the film is that Rowan Atkinson is in it as this priest who loves chocolate and the access to the secret chocolate cartel. Um, hideout is under a church and he's not in the movie enough. I love Rowan Atkinson. Ironically enough, uh, just this past day, my kids watched the Mr. Bean Christmas special, which is very, very funny. And so I, I think that the movie's fun. And I liked in particular 
the supporting characters, I think. I wouldn't necessarily say that they feel as original as other Raw Doll antagonists. Again, this being a world we already know, but just getting an earlier look at it, I think does work. But it's an origin story that's not overly surprising, and it's not going to, I think, really add any true depth outside of the fact that Willy Wonka really loved his mom. I think it was sweet, but very reminiscent of the Guardians in the Galaxy element with Peter Quill and his Walkman tapes, where, if you've seen that film, spoilers for that, I guess, where he has the tape that he was given on her deathbed, but he hasn't opened it until the end of the film, and with Charlie, or with, I keep saying Charlie, with Willie in this, he has a chocolate bar his mom had made him, and they would have, they saved their choc their cocoa beans up all year, just so we could have one chocolate bar, and he's, he's not opened it all year, or for, up since she has passed away, and ultimately at the end of the movie, he opens it up, and she's written a note on the chocolate bar, in, on essentially a golden ticket, and the secret ingredient is to be shared. That's an element that I don't think the film really addresses at all. He mentions that he thinks his mom made the world's best chocolate and that she had a secret ingredient. But we don't really see that being part of Willie's motivation to discover what that is. I think it would have played a lot better if we saw Willie fail on his own outside of the fact that his chocolate and candy does get tampered with. But we don't see him dealing with the consequences of trying to reach this goal that then he does realize wasn't the point of what he was trying to do. So I think that mixed message doesn't really work for his overall conclusion. I think the setup of the factory at the very end is really cool, but outside of some fun visuals, I think the characters are kind of hollow and it doesn't really enhance the Willie slash Charlie and the Chocolate Factory lore to ways where you're going to want to watch this. And again, as a prequel, I don't... Is this supposed to work before Willie and the Chocolate Factory? Because Pure Imagination is a song from the movie from the 1970s, which he does sing at the end as everything is all happy and all of the other inhabitants of this scrub it laundromat are released and... Again, ending on a song that reminded you or reminds the audience of the original, I think was a mistake. I understand there was probably a no-win scenario in this case where they felt that they had to use the song because it's such a classic. And if they hadn't, people will have asked why it's not there. So I completely understand that it was probably a no-win scenario. But it's overall integration, I don't think really enhances the movie. So... I'm I'm left leaving this film feeling completely mixed. I think if you've never seen any of this franchise before, this will probably work for you. Melody had never seen any of them. I think she's aware of the Chocolate Factory. We own the Rolled Doll Rolled Doll books, and so she's aware of it. But this being the first iteration for her, I'm very curious to seeing what she how she feels when she eventually sees the the original film. I'm not showing her the Johnny. Judge me if you want, but I'm not. So that will do it for my non... or my, No, this is the spoilers. That will do it for my spoiler review of Wonka. After this next little soundbite, you can find out what is coming up next week. 
If you are listening to this outro, first of all, I just want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the Film Realist podcast. As the year is coming to an end, I want to say thank you very much for spending even a half an hour of your week with me. I thoroughly appreciate it. I am super happy that it appears more and more listeners are answering the questions and polls on Spotify. We did have two new answers. Um, It's not going to be surprising who they were. But Scotty Cameron responded to the most recent question in the giggle or not, which was what is your favorite Hayao Miyazaki film? Scotty Cameron said spirited away. I would tend to agree. I believe that is my personal favorite. And then Scotty Cameron again responded to the question. What is your favorite Doctor Who Christmas special? Now, Scotty, your answer is a little controversial because Wild and Blue Yonder by default, because it's the only one I've seen, it doesn't technically classify as it did not air on Christmas. But I can understand it being a December Doctor Who special, so I'm going to cut you some slack. Thank you so much for answering the questions. If you want your answer or your, your answer to the question responded to and reacted to on the podcast, you have to listen to the podcast on Spotify. That is where they are all posted. The other thing that was reacted to on the giggle was which of the three Doctor Who 60th anniversary specials was the best. So from it looks with winning 66.7% went to the Blue Yonder, 33% went to the Star Beast. So they're all great. You, of course, if you have not listened to my reviews of all three of those specials, those are the last three episodes listed. There will be an episode released on Friday, this week, date of release, where I will be reviewing Rebel Moon with the one and only Stephen Colbert of ScreenRant.com and Snyder Minute. So that's a bonus episode that will come out on midnight, Friday morning. And then Monday, Christmas Day, will be my review of Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom. So that's what you can look forward to in the next coming weeks. Please rate the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Feel free to share it with a fellow film fan, as well as just giving it your own five-star review, which would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening to the Film Realist Podcast. I'm Kyle Naranya. I hope to see you next time.